Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Grigor Dimitrov and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast recorded live at Wimbledon. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We are supported by BNP Paribas for the duration of Wimbledon and the Davis Cup. My name is David Law and I'm joined today by my co-host Catherine Whitaker from Live at Wimbledon. And I'm also joined by The Telegraph's tennis correspondent, Mr. Simon Briggs. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you doing? Ladies first. Very, very pleased to see ladies first. I'm doing very well, thanks. I'm a little bit wet because I was caught in an unforecast rain shower, of which I hope there won't be many for the rest of the week. Um, but apart from that, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the week. Absolutely. We are here every single day of this fortnight here at Wimbledon. And I am wet as well, because I've just walked into Wimbledon for the first time this week as well. And Simon Briggs, you you don't seem to have a drop of rain on you. So how have you managed to avoid the rain? <laughs> I've been locked in that press room for at least a week. Uh, my brains are dribbling out through my ears. And if I nod off during this podcast and you hear my head banging on the table, it's not anything to do with your quality of chat. It's merely that I'm absolutely knackered. <laughs> you haven't even started yet. Uh, now, we're going to be looking every single day of this tournament at the day's play that has gone. Looking ahead to the order of play for the following day, we're going to have talking points, we're going to have chat, we're probably going to have arguments because Catherine Whitaker's here and anybody who normally listens to the Tennis Podcast will know that we rarely agree. But today, of course, it is the day before... Wimbledon starts. So we're going to be looking in depth at the draws. We're going to be coming up with predictions for the tournament, putting our necks on the line immediately. We're going to be talking as well about the Telegraph's top 50 all-time players at Wimbledon, both men and women, which has been listed on the Telegraph website this week. And goodness me, it gets people going. We put that out on At Tennis Podcast and people have been throwing their opinions at us. So we've got plenty to talk about. The one thing I did think when I walked in just half an hour ago, Catherine, was walking past the queue. Is that conversation you and I had at Queen's just over a week ago about how we used to queue? And we used to do it the hard way, didn't we? None of this Wimbledon Park cushy grass court sort of surface that they get to lie on these days. We were on the cold, hard pavement. Yeah, so we did it quite literally the hard way, on the pavement, on the concrete. I mean, as as I've confessed to in previous recent podcasts, I didn't even take a tent my first time. I was quite literally on the pavement. So this business of being in the park with Judy Murray coming and bringing you coffee every morning or, or whoever it is, that's that's... That's, it just doesn't count. In 20 years' time, when our equivalents are looking back at their golden days of queuing at Wimbledon, it won't be the same. 
to give you an idea, Simon, you've obviously covered the sport for a few years now, but we've been, we came here, certainly I came here 20 years ago. Today was the first day I ever queued at Wimbledon in 1995 in a tent on the pavement. And it was actually one of your predecessors, the late, great John Parsons, who gave me an opportunity to walk through the gates and took pity on me a couple of days later with a pass to show me how the, the press room worked. He asked me at the time to write a story about the process and the experience of queuing, and he printed it in the Telegraph the next year, and the intro read like this. <laughs> Unwashed, fully clothed bodies wrapped in sleeping bags lie on a mattress of empty beer cans, junk food cases, and the previous day's newspapers. <laughs> And that kind of sums it up. We have John Parsons to thank for your glorious career in tennis media. Is that, is that the case? That, that is the case, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, not John's finest moment, let's be <laughs> honest. And he had many, many fine moments. But sadly, I'm the reason. He's the reason I'm here. Now, the Tennis Podcast is going to discuss the draws that came out on Friday. And on the men's side, particularly, Simon, it was pretty much as we expected in terms of where the seedings fell. And the bigger talking point, I suppose, is the fact that Murray and Djokovic are not in the same half. Yeah, well, the first um, reaction from people was to go, oh, my goodness, Murray could play three members of the big four in successive rounds to lift the title. Uh, to me, that was not a concern when you, in the sense of it, it wasn't a shocking draw. Because when you look at what he's done to Rafa this year, I think I counted it up and he's won 24 games and lost seven in their two meetings. So he's totally crucified him on, on two surfaces, which on the face of it are less favourable for him than this would be. So I didn't worry really about Rafa in the, in the quarters. In any case, Rafa hasn't got to the quarters since 2011. Um, obviously, if you're in Federer's half, you're not in Novak's half. And that is preferable when you've lost eight matches in a row to Novak. And the last time you beat him was in the final here. So I think it's actually gone quite well for Murray, despite the immediate sort of um, intake of breath. What about you, Catherine? Do you see that as a decent draw for Andy Murray? Yeah, well, I, I very much agree with Simon, actually. I think that statistic of which immediately gets thrown out of to win the title, you could potentially have to beat Nadal, then Federer, then Djokovic, which I don't believe has been done before. Two of them have been beaten en route to a Grand Slam title, but never three, usually because one of those three is, is winning the Grand Slams. Um, that makes it sound like an enormous uphill climb. But when you actually look at it, of course it's preferable. Of course you want to avoid being in Novak Djokovic's half. That inevitably means being in Federer's half. And sort of the, the sting in the tail of, of Rafa being in your portion of the draw is is gone. And I'd say the chances of him reaching that quarterfinal are 50-50 at best for Rafa. Yeah, he could run into David Ferrer, could Rafa Nadal. Imagine that for a baseline encounter. I don't know, I personally think that we will see Nadal against Murray. What do you think in the quarterfinals? I think we won't because my concern is he doesn't go well in the first week. And the reason for that is that the grass plays a bit lower um, in, in the first week. So his topspin makes the ball bounce up into the hitting zone. Uh, second week, it's becoming a bit more like a hard court. And he's actually beginning to, get, beginning to get value for his unique style in the second week. So if he does make it through, he will be actually quite a threat in the quarterfinal. Uh, I just don't think he'll get there. Novak Djokovic, on paper at least, has a pretty rough start to the tournament, doesn't he? Philip Kohlschreiber in the first round. Yeah, and, and in fact, you can go through the first few rounds and they're not exactly appealing in terms of what they might throw up. I mean, you've got potentially Hewitt second round. 
Um, you've got Anderson pretty early. The only thing is, if there's one bloke who's totally destroyed all but the very elite players this year and just not even given them a breathing space on the court, it is Novak. So, yeah, it's not... It's certainly, for anybody else, you'd say that's a pretty horrible draw. For him, it could be business as usual. What about you, Catherine? Do you see... Novak Djokovic, particularly given that he hasn't played the warm-up tournament. We know what sort of form Andy Murray is in having won Queens. I know that Novak Djokovic has done this before, of course. He he came into Wimbledon, won it last year, just having played a couple of exhibition matches. He did that again last week, but the gap is bigger. His disappointment must be more severe than ever after the French Open having lost in that final having already beaten Rafael Nadal and of course he did I don't know whether this matters he did actually lose a match in the exhibition he played last week as well yeah I think um, for once in recent history Novak Djokovic despite being the top seed and the number one in the world and very deservedly so is a bit of an unknown quantity I, I genuinely was perplexed that he didn't take a wild card at the last minute for for either Queens or Haller. I can understand him not having wanted to sign up for that in advance because he didn't know what was going to happen at the French, etc. But I, I genuinely was surprised that he didn't. I think three weeks changing surface is a long time to go and it's not like he's been He's he came to Wimbledon early and has been hitting on the grass for a long time. He took a, he was in Marbella having a lovely holiday. Now he knows himself better than we do maybe maybe he'll that will prove to be the absolute perfect preparation but i do think what happened in france is different to previous losses he's had at the french i think how that will affect him mentally is yet to be seen i don't think how he's reacted to losing in paris previously is necessarily a model for how he'll do it this time because i think this is life-shatteringly devastating in a way that previous losses haven't been and i do think that lack of grass matches will be a factor in I wouldn't want to see Philip Kohlschreiber if I was Novak Djokovic tomorrow. Or Leighton Hewitt potentially in the second round. Now I know there's I know Leighton Hewitt isn't the force he was and he's he's not guaranteed to get past the first round. He plays Jarko Neiman and lovely little storyline attached to that, the fact that neither one of them are ever going to be here again. Both of them are retiring and the winner will continue on. And in fact Neiman and I think had a pretty decent job against uh, Djokovic at the French Open recently. He actually pushed him for, for a short while. But I don't know. I think Hewitt is going to come through and play Djokovic. Has he got any chance? Uh, I'd say second round, as long as Novak's uh, come through in a healthy state after the first match, not really. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, I do agree, actually, that Cole Schreiber is a pretty horrid uh, opener, particularly for a guy who is emotionally still recovering. And uh, Novak came into press just now and he said, that was my real issue after the French. I was emotionally exhausted and um, he still looks a bit tired in there. I mean, he, he wasn't exactly full of the, the joys of spring. Funnily enough, Serena Williams, who I remember here last year being ab absolutely grumpy as hell in her pre-tournament press conference, was, was very joyful and bouncy yesterday. Uh, he definitely looked the tireder and the, and the, and the more kind of... Um, I don't know. He, he just had a, had a some sense of, of slight uncertainty about him um, today in the presser. So Novak Djokovic was the Simon Briggs of the tennis world because Simon's a bit tired, aren't you, as well, after a big <laughs> week of previews. But my goodness, there have been some good ones. Go to the Telegraph website and read some of those. There have been some absolute corkers, including the one uh, today with, with Andy Murray talking about his use of a psychiatrist. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating that he's so ready to go into those areas. I mean, I always feel that sportsmen, they don't want to root around in their psyches too much. Most of them rely on their ability to go out there and, and 
focus to the exclusion of the crowd, and, and just that, that's a, that's a, an incredible difference between the, between the champion and the and the and the good um, rank and file player. That ability to perform in front of the huge crowd. If you go out there and start thinking about that too much. You know, it's quite a brave thing to do. Some players feel that they just don't want to get even involved in, in, in looking too deeply in case they lose that magic power. I mean, if you if it goes away, it's not like a sprained ankle. You don't have like a six week recovery period. So so to be to actually rootle around in your own psyche is a is a is a good thing if you believe you can you can um get benefit from it. But a lot of players are scared to do so. Shows as well, Catherine, just how comfortable he is in his own skin, doesn't it? And and also the fact that he refuses to leave any stone unturned. Yeah. Absolutely. I actually think, on one hand, I think I'm I'm surprised that more players don't see psychiatrists because the nature of tennis, m- many sports as well, but I think particularly with tennis, with some exceptions, and at the very top I think there is some exception, but there's very little difference between the forehands and backhands and serves of the number 10 in the world and the number 100 in the world. It's so much mental that I think they probably, with some exceptions, a few exceptions, should probably all be at least contemplating that option but then I think maybe more of them are and they just don't want to admit to it or say it publicly because they would see it as as a they would perhaps sense that opponents would see it as a sign of weakness you know all about the locker room or they think oh he's you know he's off to see a shrink maybe he's not right in the head but as you say I think for Murray it's a sign that he is completely right in the head at the moment. I heard Roger Federer the great grand master of this tournament, seven times a champion, speaking on Five Live Sports Week this morning. And he was saying that I've fulfilled all of my goals in this sport. I've made all my dreams come true. Everything else that happens to me is now a bonus. Simon, do you think we're going to see one more, one more glorious run from Roger Federer? Or was last year's final run and getting so close, was, was that his final hurrah? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the draw when we were doing our predictions, and I thought, well, I'm not sure I see anybody in his quarter stopping him. I think I think he he will go to the semis. Um, at that point, if things go right for British fans, he'll be playing Murray, and at that point, if things go right for British fans, he will go out. <laughs> Although actually, that's not entirely true, is it? Because as many people in this country would probably back Roger. I mean, they, they, I think in their final here, it was very close to see who of them was the more popular with the crowd. So uh, that's probably an exaggeration, but. Uh, I think he'll get that semi. Um, I would back Murray on form, uh, fitness, um, and a couple of recent wins over Federer in slams. But, um, yeah, I think he'll go well. Simon Briggs of The Telegraph can't wait to get to his prediction. So let's just go straight into it, shall we? He's already told you who he thinks is going to be in the semis. You think we're going to have Murray against Federer in that bottom half of the draw. What do you think we're going to get in the top half? Yeah, I've said that, that although I'm feeling very well disposed towards Stan after he retweeted my profile of him uh, yesterday. Uh, Always goes down there, that. <laughs> that wasn't unpopular with me with his 479,000 Twitter followers. Um, although I'm feeling very well disposed towards Stan, I just wonder if he's going to find it difficult to get those powerful strokes wound up on the faster surface. So I actually think Raonic might uh, repeat his feet and go to the semi again. And obviously I'm backing Novak because I always back Novak. What do you think, Catherine? Who are your semi-finalists on the men's side? This is really quick because I agree with Simon. And if you need proof, I do actually have it written down that those are my predictions before we came into this room to record. I've gone for a Raonic-Djokovic semi and a Murray-Federer semi. 
In fact, had Federer come out on Djokovic's side of the draw and there was potential for a Djokovic-Federer semi, I might be tempted to go for Federer in that one. But alas, that's why we have draws and that will never be. So uh, I'm, I'm going for those four. Yes, I can actually vouch for Catherine there because all three of us have done this independently. We've chosen our semi-finalists, our winners, and we've had all sorts of other categories to choose from that you'll be able to read on the Telegraph website, including which who's going to be the first round upset, which seed's going to go out first, which teenager will go first, furthest in the tournament. And also we've got one wild card entry at the end where we just say, predict anything you like. I think Simon Briggs has gone gone to the streaker route, haven't you, Simon? <laughs> yeah, it's about time we had a security story here. We certainly had a security story at the French Open, um, which uh, was, was quite amusing when Gilbert Izern, who is the, uh, the chap who runs the tournament, turned up at the uh, the press conference afterwards and said, oh, I wasn't really too much of a worry. Uh, you know, this happens all the time, and, and, and frankly, uh, I, I can't see what you're worried about. Indeed. Now, on the women's side, is it the Serena Williams story yet again. Obviously the dominant player in the sport. She seems to have got back on track, certainly in terms of winning Grand Slam titles. And it, I was very interested to, to read an Andy Roddick interview with the New York Times uh, a, a few days ago, where Roddick was saying that Serena has now got that ability that she showed at the French Open to actually win a Grand Slam title in second gear. Yeah, in fact, I think she's probably done that a few times and has had that ability for a while, actually. I mean, Serena Williams' first gear is, is you know, getting matches done in, in 40 minutes. So, um, absolutely, I would, I would agree with that. And yes, I think her name's on the trophy unless unless she, she does something. It's in her hands, basically. It's in her hands. Um, I'm not going to say anything about foregone conclusions I've learned my lesson there but uh, if there's one thing I've learned about predictions recently it's to go with the form books and uh, not to do anything wild and crazy so I'm going for Serena um, and uh, that's probably the one I feel most confident in. Absolutely well she's in the top half of the draw Maria Sharapova scheduled at least seedings wise to meet her in the semi-finals. Simon do you see anything upsetting that matchup? Yeah, I think I think uh, Sharapova will be will do very well to get there. I think she might have a bit of trouble with Conta tomorrow. I mean, it depends on how Conta actually uh, plays in front of a big crowd. But I was so impressed with the way she played in Eastbourne. I mean, okay, she got to the quarterfinals. It doesn't mean you're going to beat Maria Sharapova in the first round. But I mean, from a woman who has been flaky, let's admit it, she's she's been mentally unstable in her matches for most of her career. She suddenly switched on and she was really focused in that tournament. And she showed that she can play tennis with the big girls and that she she looked like a top 50 player at least you know i mean she she went out to benchich in a really high quality match very impressed with conta uh, okay unlucky to beat her but might might give her a few problems tomorrow um and beyond that um there's there's a lot of good players in there stevens i think will will go well in that quarter um will knock out stritcher in the first round and and uh fly for a while so i don't think maria is um by any means a, a sort of a strong favourite to go through that quarter. And in the bottom half of the draw, Petra Kvitova, obviously the defending champion here, and what a performance that was a year ago to beat Eugenie Bouchard in, in less than an hour. But she had to pull out of Eastbourne with with ill health. So there's a big question mark there. There is. Petra Kvitova is a bit of an unknown quantity at the best of times. She can storm through a draw like she did at Wimbledon last year and look completely unbeatable. And you you can include Serena Williams in that bracket. She beat Serena Williams in, in Madrid this year. Or she can, you know... She 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. She can be liable to, uh, vulnerable to first or second round or certainly early exit. So I think that extra question mark with the withdrawal from Eastbourne probably puts her out, out of contention for being picked for the title. But you certainly wouldn't be counting her out. So what do we think? Certainly on the men's side, we've said, we, I agree, incidentally, that we're going to get Federer against Murray in the semis. Personally, I think Stan Wawrinka is going to come through and face Novak Djokovic in the semis. I'm going for a Djokovic-Murray final. I'm going for Murray to win the title for the second time. What have you two got? Yeah, Murray to win. Uh, all, all, all the same as you, apart from uh, not sure about Stan adapting to the grass. Uh, if I could just say that we would really like to see the one on two seeds and the women's against each other because I don't really remember a, a, a particularly high-profile Williams-Kvitova meeting. Um, I may be forgetting something, but there is a match which potentially has got absolutely ripping power on both sides. And, and I can't see anybody else who could live with Serena other than Kvitova when it comes to power. That would be magnificent to see them play each other in a final. And uh, I've actually put Kvitova to go out first round in my, in my predictions because... I agree with Catherine. She's totally unpredictable. She can go one way or the other, and we don't know because of her illness and so on what she's what, what she's coming into the tournament in what sort of shape. But if she did go all the way, that'd be awesome. Who she got first round, Simon? Uh, she's got. Oh, it's Kiki, Kiki Burton. Burton's. Okay, well, that's uh, an interesting one. Simon Briggs has gone out on a limb. The defending champion out in the first round, says the Telegraph's tennis correspondent. What about you, Catherine? I on the women's side have got a Serena Williams against Petra Kvitova final. What have you got? Uh, well, as I, uh, as I hinted at earlier, I'm, uh, I'm playing incredibly safe with my predictions this year. Not safe in terms of going for the number two seed in the bottom half. I'm actually going with the form books and I'm going for Angelique Kerber. She is on the most incredible run and overlook her at your peril. The stat about the titles that basically every title that Serena Williams hasn't won recently Angelique Kerber has won she's adapted to the grass brilliantly so I'm going for a Serena Williams Angelique Kerber final wow I've got Kerber actually getting to the semis and losing to Kvitova Simon Briggs I've got her in the semis losing to Redvanska 
Wow, it's all, it's all we, we, we all like Kerber. Funnily enough, we, we watched Kerber in Miami playing against Heather, and she wasn't in, in great nick. Let's be honest. She was she was playing. She was battling herself all the way through. Heather should have beaten her. She um, she blew up in in, in, the, in the last game um, and, and sort of handed it over. But since then, I mean, it shows what a mental sport this is because she just seemed to get to get into her tunnel vision and and there are flaws in her game she's not got a big serve her forehand technically isn't anything to write home about but she she is just so strong between the ears when she feels confident and yeah an incredible run she's been on since then ultimately though a serena williams title again yeah i would have thought so she she's in a very positive and bouncy as i said frame of mind i interviewed her as well on thursday night which was first time i've ever sat down with her for a one-on-one and um the contrast between her this year and last year, I can't, I can't overstate it. She was, she really was, was in a in a in a very um, unhappy frame of mind twelve months ago, and and this time she's full of the joys of spring. What about you, Catherine? Oh, Serena Williams' name on the trophy, unless uh, unless something happens. I, th- I think uh, that you can tell a lot from Serena Williams' mood. So I'm I'm feeling even more confident in my prediction, having heard Simon's uh, impressions of her. Uh, the other day, so uh, Serena Williams. So are we all going for Serena Williams and Andy Murray. Uh, yeah, it's 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 predestined, written in the stars. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I am going for Andy Murray. Yeah, I'm I'm tempted to change because everybody is picking Andy Murray for this title, and I think that rather suggests it's more nailed on than it actually is. I do think he's just a favourite, but only just. I don't. I, I I'm just a bit cautious about how many people are picking him for this title this year. Well, those are the predictions we've come up with for the men's and women's singles titles. There are loads more for you to look at on the Telegraph website. We've we've gone into every bit of detail we possibly can and stuck our necks on the lines. So go and have a look. Get over to at Tennis Podcast. Throw in a few of your predictions. It's good fun. You're listening to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and supported by BNP Paribas. Now, Simon Briggs, recently you have been responsible for something that has caused a lot of debate (laughs) in tennis because The Telegraph website has decided to rank the top 50 players of all time, men and women, at Wimbledon on the website. And, well... People like to argue with those predictions, don't they? <laughs> so the, just to give you an idea of the top 10, Simon Briggs and friends have gone for Roger Federer as number one, Pete Sampras number two, Bjorn Borg three, Boris Becker four, John McEnroe five, Stefan Edberg six, Rod Laver seven, Rafael Nadal eight, Jimmy Connors nine and Novak Djokovic ten. Uh, right, what's the question? <laughs> the question is, in my view, Edberg ahead of Laver? What are you thinking there? Well, I think there there is a, an important distinction to be made here, which is that this is open era only. Uh, I mean, it's hard enough <laughs> ranking players of different eras since 1968. If you're going to go back before then, I'd just be on my ken completely. So, um, Labour doesn't get his full uh, royal highnessness <laughs> in in the rankings because he, he won quite a few titles before 68. So that that's that's kind of why he's maybe uh, suffered a little bit there. He's only won two, I think, in the open era. Yeah, that's right. It's an interesting one, isn't it? And you've also got Becker ahead of McEnroe. I suppose that one could have been either way, couldn't it, really? They're only one place difference. Yeah, I mean, it's partly influenced by the piece I wrote in the middle of the week as well about how Becker almost built this place. You know, people don't realise what a huge commercial boost 
the All England Club gained from Becker winning the title in '85 and becoming the biggest star in Germany by a country mile. The money that came in from German TV rights over the next ten years basically paid for uh, the the, the Sorry, I'm I'm uh, gabbling now, but it paid for the moving of court number one, um, the establishment of the Millennium Building. I mean, it's just he is part of the fabric of this place. And maybe I was influenced as well by um, by Boris Becker's Wimbledon, having gone to the launch of that book. You know, he feels the connection. He lives here. He never wants to be away from the place in a way that that doesn't happen with McEnroe. So McEnroe uh, is an amazing Wimbledon story, but Becker is is almost sort of part of the warp and weft of of, of the club itself. Any there that stand out to you, Catherine, as, as, as ones you wouldn't have gone for? Definitely my answer isn't going to include the phrase warp and weft, which I can't believe it hasn't featured on the tennis podcast before now because it's amazing. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm loath to disagree, especially as um, I have less right, I think, to be making judgments than either of you because I'm significantly younger. Oh, steady. Um, so uh, I think that I can certainly comment on the last 15, 20 years, but before that, that I, I struggle with it, comparisons between eras because I don't really think that I'm... Uh, in a particularly uh, good position to do that. So, no, I mean, I had the same uh, question mark over Rod Laver, but I think that's completely justified. I think as soon as you... It's a shame not to include pre-open era, but once you start getting into that, then you really are on dodgy territory. And certainly if I have an issue comparing eras, I think anybody's going to struggle to look back to, you know, the 1890s and start comparing the winners then. So, um, no, I'm I'm comfortable with all the choices. If I could just make the point, one specific issue which is easily forgotten is if you start ranking numbers of titles... I don't know, Anthony Wilding won a, won a bunch, didn't he, in, in the late 20th century. They only had to play one match. If you won the title, you came back and you played one challenge match and win it again. So it's actually totally misleading to compare that with somebody like Sampras, who comes back and does it year after year. A few thoughts from our listeners at Tennis Podcast. Alex Cam says the justification for Murray at number 13, there isn't really one. And being placed above Goran in the list? Oh, dear. M says, shocking, Goran should be in the top 10. He's above Djokovic for contribution to Wimbledon history. Susie Reid says, why is Volander in this top 50 list? Dan says, Roddick would be at least the eighth in that list if he played in any other era. And Ali says, Todd Woodbridge should be in the top 10. He won 10 Wimbledons in and made a semis in singles. So you've got people going here, Simon. We'll start with that one. But I think it, it, it's good fun. I mean, it, it shows that uh, people have taken an interest in it. Um, I'm quite amazed. I don't know how many clicks you have to actually make to get through the whole list. So clearly, they, they've, they've um, shown some enthusiasm for the project. Absolutely. Everybody's into it. On the women's side, Martina Navratilova ranked as number one, Chris Evert number two. And this is the big one that has got everybody going. Chris Evert ahead of Steffi Graf and Serena Williams. Simon Briggs, explain yourself. How many titles did she win? Three. She also reached seven finals on top of that. So there is definitely a great sense of uh, sustaining her level. And obviously she was up against the number one for most of those. But she's playing against here in this all-time ranking list. Steffi Graf has won seven singles titles. Serena Williams has won five. And Chris Evans above them both. What do you think, Catherine? I don't think Chris Evans is anywhere on the list. Did I say Chris Evans? <laughs> oh dear, I meant Chris Evans. He's a great broadcaster, but he's not not on this list. He can be on another list. Um, I I uh, I do entirely disagree. I think Steffi Graf surely is number two, and Serena currently for me would be in number three. 
but you know TBC where she could possibly end up where was Venus on the list she's at number five just on the shoulder of her sister with five Wimbledon titles and five doubles titles of course they both won as well number six is Billie Jean King seven is Yvonne Gulligan Corley eight is Petra Kvitova nine is Jana Novotna not quite so sure I agree with you on that one, Simon. She's ahead of Virginia Wade in number 10. So Maria Sharapova languishing way behind Jana Novotna. I think Novotna was a great Wimbledon moment, wasn't she? And a great Wimbledon personality. But also, she uh, did she play three finals um, that she lost? I think she certainly played two. Yeah. So she Maybe um, she played three, I don't know. She is um, somebody who, who's consistently adapted so well to the courts here and I mean serve volley is is not such a big thing now but uh, there were a few more of them around in those days uh, she was probably the best of them uh, in that era and I think people just have a bit of an emotional bond with her don't they yeah, no, I, I, I'm only teasing you, really, Simon. I can see where you're coming from. Jana Novotna was a, a wonderful, wonderful story. Well, listen, the fact is there are no right answers in that sort of list, but it does make for good fun to talk about. Go over to the Telegraph website. Have a look at that Tennis Podcast. We've got the links to that uh, top 50 list of both the men and women, and go through them yourselves. Let us know what you think. It's, it's all good fun, really, isn't it, after all? Now, just before we finish off, let's have a look at this order of play for tomorrow. It is going to be Novak Djokovic who opens the centre court order of play in the one o'clock match. It's a lovely tradition, isn't it, Simon, that the defending champion opens the play? Yeah, I mean, it's strange, actually, that the other slams don't do it, although maybe they've been warned off with Wimbledon saying, this is our idea, get stuffed. But... Um, I don't understand why you wouldn't do it at a, at, a, at a slam event, why you wouldn't unveil the last year's champion with, with a bit of a fanfare. Um, and it's also nice for us, actually, as reporters, because as soon as the uh, the draw is made, we know, even before the order of play comes out, who's going to be on what day, which is uh, makes, makes life a little bit easier. Absolutely. Now, do either of you think that Djokovic is going to lose tomorrow because you've got him in the final, but do you think he's going to lose the set here? I think he might lose a set. Yeah, I do. I think coming out first match on grass, I think he could lose a set. Simon? You wouldn't put it past him. As I say, I think he he has a a certain lack of his usual um, kind of sang-froid coming in here. And uh, he may be a little bit more uh, up and down than we're used to. I mean, he's... his baseline is so high, isn't it? <laughs> that kind of just just jobbing professionalism that he that he produces, even when he's not inspired, is so amazing. Even before he turns on the kind of the extra qualities he brings in, in the end of a slam, um, that that normally I'd say he'd steamroll him. But maybe just this time, just a, a few shakes after after what happened in Paris. Catherine, he he might see a one-handed backhand on the other side of the net and and feel, you know, <laughs> his blood might start running cold. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well that's what Stan Wawrinka, of course, did to him in that French Open final. And Philip Kohlschreiber has one of the most gorgeous single-handed backhands that I've ever seen. I remember him knocking out Andy Roddick at the Australian Open a number of years ago. And he hits some obscene number of backhand winners. So let's just see if Philip Kohlschreiber can get going. After that, Maria Sharapova takes on Johanna Konta. Then it's Stan Wawrinka against Joao Sousa. On number one court, it opens with Serena Williams against Gasparian of Russia. Uh, then it's Simone Balelli against Kei Nishikuri. Now, just a little tip here that that is my upset for the first round. If you go yeah. to the Telegraph website, you'll see all of our predictions for the tournament. And I think Balelli is going to take out Nishikuri. He's had a calf issue, Nishikuri, hasn't he, coming in, which uh, his speed around the court probably 
his number one asset. So if he is hampered at all, Bellelli, um he played an endless match in Paris with I can't remember who did, who did he it was it who did he go to it was like a like a five hour job and he's somebody who's actually never delivered the results that he his his talent should. Uh, entitled him to, but he hasn't shown the, the, the most ruthless constitution under pressure. So it would be a big step forward for him. I think that might, might be my my argument for why I wouldn't back that upset because I don't think he would actually close. He he might put him under pressure. I'm not sure he'd close. No, absolutely. And then after that, we've got another potential upset: Grigor Dimitrov against Federico Delbonis. And Dimitrov, Catherine, is really struggling at the moment. He's not in the greatest of places. Yeah. Well, when you asked me to predict my uh, first round upset, I immediately looked to where Grigor Dimitrov was in the draw. I actually don't think it will come in the first round. I think that's a good enough first round draw that he will be okay. However, I do see trouble for him in rounds two and three. Um, I can't quite remember who it is. Steve Johnson could pose him problems, and there's somebody else lurking in his area. He's got Gasquet, so I really think. Uh, it might not come tomorrow, but I do see a first round exit for Dimitrov, and I see, well, I, I an early round exit, uh, an early round exit, and I and I I expect and I hope there'll be a bit of soul searching because I don't think there's been quite enough reflection. I mean, it's great to see him so positive, but I almost think he shouldn't be quite so positive given everything uh, he's been through in the past few weeks. I mean, things are undeniably not going his way, so I think. Um, an early round exit, followed by a bit of reflection and maybe some changes in the way he's doing things. Court two looks fantastic. Starts with Nick Kyrgios against Diego Schwartzman. Then you've got that Neiman and against Hewitt match. One of those players playing at Wimbledon for the final time on Monday. Alison, Alison Risk against the French Open finalist Lucy Safarova, and she also reached the semis here last year, did Safarova. Then Heather Watson against Caroline Garcia. Do you think that's a tough uh, strand, isn't it, uh, Simon? Yeah, I'm actually just writing about that match at the moment because I spoke to Caroline Garcia as a preview for the French Open. Unfortunately, they drew Caroline Garcia on the first Sunday and then she collapsed in a fit of um, panic at being in front of her home fans and said, I never play anything resembling tennis at the French Open. I'm so miserable. Um, in this instance, it'll be actually interesting because Heather will be in front of her home fans. But I think she deals with it pretty well here. Very 50-50 game, I think. Uh, Heather said that she expects Garcia to come out and just throw um, big shots, go for winners off both wings. Heather will probably try and keep it a bit tighter. Um, yeah, I think I fancy Heather on that one. Simon Briggs of The Telegraph here with us on the Tennis Podcast and Catherine Whitaker as well. Other matches that are taking place tomorrow involve Marin Cilic, Anna Ivanovic, Venus Williams only makes it onto court three. Victoria Azarenka is on court 12. A British player, Liam Brody, is on court 18 to start things off. And Belinda Bencic against Fatana Peronkova is a good match, second on there. So many good matches on the opening day of Wimbledon. We can't wait to get started, Catherine Whitaker, can we? We can't, and uh, perhaps should just mention, lest this go out of date very quickly, I am hearing word on the ground, or on Twitter, that David Ferrer has pulled out, which, I'm doing mental calculations here, which means a lucky loser will take his place. So David Ferrer may well be out, that means that James Ward would have a different first round opponent, it also means that Ferrer couldn't play against either Rafael Nadal or against Andy Murray further down the track. We shall see how that all evolves. You can read Simon's articles every day in The Telegraph. You can watch Catherine on Live at Wimbledon. I'll be on BBC Radio 5 Live. Our coverage starts at 12 o'clock every day.
every day. I'd also suggest you check out wearetennis.com for some of the best tennis coverage on the internet and social media. We as a tennis podcast team will be bringing you a show every single night of Wimbledon in association with The Telegraph, supported by BNP Paribas, the bank for a changing world. And we can't wait for it all to start. We'll speak to you soon. 